The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. When was the last time you paid attention to your listening? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Before we get started, our team has had a ton of people asking where they can find more In the Arena content. You can sign up for my weekly newsletter by going to www.linkedin.com slash ITA. That's www.linkedin.com slash ITA. Okay, on to our show. Summer is a time when we all try to unplug from our otherwise busy lives just a little bit. And while vacations can feel rejuvenating, we also have to come home. So we want to arm ourselves with techniques that we can use every single day to feel better. So my team and I were guided by experts to actually experience the methods they use to wake up the feelings and senses we often ignore. And you can do these anytime. Why? Well, because becoming more aware of these is essential to building the muscle of self-awareness, enhancing well-being, reducing stress, heightening connection, and so much more. We're going to take you on a deep dive into four areas. Laughter, touch, sound, and smell. When we tried these, we felt better. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Sarah Ouster is one of a growing body of people who are providing sound bath experiences. And I got to be there for one of them. So first, what's a sound bath? Well, in this experience, it's a range of bowls, chimes, and other tools that provide a focused, calming, and healing experience for people in the room. Sarah's classes can range from 10 minutes to hours, with her longest class being all night. I tried it because of my long-standing connection to music. Now, I'm in no way unique when it comes to this, but music feels like it's supported me. It's guided me. It's helped me celebrate and endure in tough times. It's sort of like a soundtrack is going on as I'm living. And as I look through some of the research, I get more curious about the links between sound, sound vibration, and the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve in your body, and it's connected to the parasympathetic nervous system. I often think about the relationship between stress and illness, and that is enough for me to want to keep exploring. So you're going to get to as well. We've got a separate episode with the sound bath experience from Sarah. It is so, so peaceful. I encourage you to listen to her talk about the value of sound bath and what she's discovered, learned, and taught. And I really encourage you to give it a try. Here's Sarah on how she got into this work and what we need to know about it.
it wasn't an easy entry point for me uh, in recovery from emotional trauma, physical trauma, and then emotional trauma again. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to seek out alternatives. And at the time, 20 years ago, there were many options. You had to really find them or know about them or know somebody who knew about them Mm -hmm. (laughs) weren't so mainstream. Uh, And so, yeah, my goal too is to, you know, speak to people who are curious skeptics, people who think this stuff is not for them and, you know, to really make it much more simple and accessible. I read that you had a sister that was in a coma Mm -hmm. and that part of your communication with her was through sound. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little more about that? I'm very curious. And is that, would you say that's your start? That was your starting point or your invitation to explore this? Yeah, certainly. So when I was seven years old, my oldest of two sisters became ill and had multiple grand mal seizures, which put her into a coma. And when she came out, she was non-communicative and nonverbal. And every weekend, what I did as a seven and eight and nine-year-old child was go to the hospital to visit my sister. But I couldn't communicate her in the way in which I was used to being able to communicate. So we would bring a Walkman with her favorite cassette tapes and play music for her. And there was something that shifted in her that made me recognize even as a young child that we were connecting Mm -hmm. in a way. In addition, music was always a way that my family connected in those long car rides. We blasted music. We sang along. We each got a turn to pick what kind of genre we wanted to listen to. My parents sing. My sisters and I would would always sing around the house and collect music and play music. And so it was always an important piece of my childhood. And so fast forward to how you got to here. You're working with the Philharmonic, you're working with the Who, you're doing this work to essentially take people who aren't necessarily maybe deep into the wellness space and give them this invitation. How did you get here? So spending a lot of time in hospitals as a young child, I was really fascinated with the body and how it worked and also how it fails us. Why was my sister sick and why was I healthy? What is that about? And so after her death. She passed away at 16 and I was 10. I started to create artwork that had a biological theme. I was a visual artist at a young age. So I was Mm -hmm. fascinated with anatomy and that sort of imagery. And I continued to work as an artist and musician making multi-sensory work into my early 20s where I was awarded a space grant. And I was working late in my studio one night And I heard a a loud banging, which I thought was very typical in Times Square at that time, 20 years ago. But that loud banging sound was the floor breaking underneath me. So I fell through the floor 15 feet from the second floor into the first floor, and I broke my back in four places. I suffered from temporary paralysis. I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks on a morphine drip just questioning whether I would walk again or have a normal life, but also not really because I was on a bunch of morphine. So I wasn't really 
<laughs> too deep in the contemplation yeah. of life. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and when I was released from the hospital, I was given a back brace from my hips up to my neck and a walker. And the neurosurgeon said, all right, you're free to go. And so I asked for physical therapy. Is that something you have to prescribe? I don't know. It's 23 years old. And he said, well, yeah, I could do that. But if it hurts, don't do it. But everything hurt. Right. It's Putting like, on a shirt hurt. Brushing my yeah. teeth hurt. Getting up and out of bed, getting into bed, it it all hurt. So that's what really, that frustration, that sort of anger towards that one particular doctor and my situation mm-hmm. is what motivated me to seek out alternatives. And so that was really the beginning of my journey into all different types of modalities. I first went to school for massage therapy so I could learn more about kinesiology and neurology and those types of things. Mm -hmm. And I went on to study yoga, meditation, discovered that beyond the physical limitations of breaking my back, there was also the emotional trauma of the floor disappearing underneath me. I learned this through my meditation practice. So mm-hmm. as these layers started to become uncovered, I would just dive deeper with another teacher, with another course. And I taught yoga and meditation for many years. And I lost the artist's part of myself. In some ways, I felt like there was still part of me that wasn't expressing. Mm-hmm. And that's where sound started to come back around for me. All I ever have been doing is holding space for people to have an experience. With my mixed media installation, it was always about helping people to kind of fall back into themselves and their experiencing. And I think that what I'm doing now in teaching meditation and facilitating an experience with sound is quite similar. What do you see in people who are doing this on a regular basis and what have you seen in yourself that is transformative? Well, people can have an immediately powerful and transformative experience with sound. It's possible. Mm -hmm. However, as with a lot of different types of practices, it might not be apparent right away. But if you're consistent and you show up and you keep doing it, you know, maybe a couple months out, you think, oh, that guy just cut me off in traffic and I'm totally fine with it. Mm-hmm. And he must be having a bad day. And thank goodness nobody got hurt. And mm-hmm. you notice your reactions start to shift and how you relate to the world around you. I have been meditating for almost a decade and there are times I go in and out of it. There are times that I know I'm not no longer in like the place I like to be in after that period of time that you just shared where you know that you're different. You're not reacting, you're responding and you're there's a little more space in between those reactions. I think in part of what you're doing and in part of what I'm doing is trying to continue to share with people that there isn't a magic pill, but like here's another invitation for how to approach work that over time will be really meaningful and in which you'll see a difference in yourself and that transformation isn't just this like I went to bed and woke up the next day and it was all good. It's a thing that takes time. 
And I think this is one of the reasons why the equivalent of working out is used so much with meditation. And this is easy for people to understand. You don't go to the gym one time and then have a six pack and lose 20 pounds. It doesn't work that way. You have to go to the gym again and again. You have to change your diet. You have to change your sleep if you want to become physically healthy. Mm -hmm. And so to become mentally and emotionally healthy you have to put in the same kind of effort of showing up. But one thing I often say about sound baths is if meditation is taking the stairs, the sound bath is taking the elevator. Love that. <laughs> because it is a little bit of an express ride because you have the external focus of the sound to sort of hold and guide your attention, which is different from a silent meditation mm -hmm. where... However you might be guided, you know, let your thoughts float by like clouds or notice your elbow, breathe into your elbow, yeah, <laughs> something, <correct>. <laughs> something <laughs> like that, where sound really provides a container to hold your awareness so that the pressure is off the individual practitioner. I have to quiet my mind. I have to sit up yes. tall. I have to have fancy yoga pants. I have to have mm -hmm. the right cushion and the right candle and all these things. No, you can just, you can actually lie down if that's more comfortable to you and notice the sounds. It can be really that simple. We'll be right back with sound therapist, Sarah Oster. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Sarah Oster on the benefits of bathing yourself in sound every once in a while. You're making me think about with the idea of like meditation and how we go through that process. When I first started, it was so hard. I'm one of those people that has a very busy mind. So, you know, it's like the monkey mind. I have 18 things going on in my head at any given time. Like this morning I was meditating and I was like, oh, you know, lost it. The goal is to just come back and start over. What have you learned that is supportive of people either exploring sound baths or other forms of healing that are somatic? If you have something going on in your mind that you want to address, 
get physical, get into your body, move your body, work out, go for a walk, get out of your head. Mm-hmm. When you have something going on in your body, physical pain, injury, get into your mind and your awareness of pain and your relationship to what's going on in your body, whether it's illness or injury or disease. And I think that putting a spotlight on the problem makes recovery and healing a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. Seeing it as a sensation and not poking at it Mm. physically. I personally used to have sharp, intensely biting nerve pain in the middle Mm. of your spine where it feels like an actual gremlin or small animal is inside my back biting me. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced at once in their life a nerve pain. Mm -hmm. What I used to do was run up to the corner of a wall or a doorway and start to slam my back into the wall. This is years and years ago. Whereas now... When it happens, I'm familiar with the sensation. I come to my breath. I am able to, in a lot of ways, just slow down time and do what I need to take care of myself without, you know, reacting in that way of going to address it right away physically. You're reminding me of I slipped three discs in my back two years ago when I was a serious runner. And then when you slip discs, you're not running anymore. (laughs) Like it's over. And so I was I had a sciatica also. So it was like, you know, when I was walking for the first three or four days, it felt like little like like lightning. Like that's how mm-hmm. I described it. I was like, it's like lightning shoots randomly down into my from my back, lower back into my legs. And not only was it like totally jarring to have something and you've obviously experienced this, too, but have something that was so natural for you to do every day, not be something you can do anymore. And having to deal with the emotion of that thing. And I remember my therapist saying, there's grief here. Like, there's loss here. Like, you're not acknowledging the loss. Even if you do get back to running as much as you used to, like, there's something lost here. I spend more time in my getting in, probably getting into my, into the pain itself and going, oh, it hurts. You know, like I've said multiple times on runs the last few days, like, oh, I I don't know if I can do it because it hurts, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm sitting in the pain instead of finding something else to move my attention and focus somewhere else. So it's an interesting idea that like you would move away from that thing, which is the obvious thing we all want to do. We something hurts. We go, what hurts? Where is it? I think another thing also to investigate is how emotional imbalances manifest in the physical body. This all falls under the umbrella of listening and being able to get so quiet that you're really in conversation with your body and communicating with your body and your mind in a way that is open and receptive so that you can get more information from yourself, from what's happening inside. When now you have this awareness of your back and when you're running, and so you pay more attention, you listen a little bit more deeply. And then when you have that information, you're able to respond in a way that is much more thoughtful and much more beneficial to what your body needs in the moment. What do you find is the most common or the most obvious reason that people say I'm coming to this class or to work with you or to partner with you? People often describe after a sound bath a heightened awareness of a heightened sensitivity, relaxation, openness, 
So see what happens when I come into a corporate setting is it's there's a closeness. People walk in, oh, what did you think of this meeting? Did you get that report in, this and that? You know that talk. Mm-hmm. You know, we drop in to the experience. I don't say too much. You know, it's just, it's going to be simple. We're going to get comfortable and we're going to listen. Inevitably, after the sound bath experience, and I ask people to share and give feedback if it's a small group, people are talking about how they feel. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, there's such a beautiful description of how they're feeling or somebody saw colors or they thought of their grandmother who just passed and we're sitting around a conference table having a real vulnerable conversation because there's an openness that happens when you slow down and you get quiet and you tune into your listening. Mm -hmm. So the sounds that are introduced in a sound bath invite you to notice subtlety, to notice nuance. And so that when you can do that in your waking life, in your regular life, you get to experience more beauty in life, sometimes also more pain and suffering. But inevitably, you're going to come back to the more beauty of life. Mm-hmm. Glennon Doyle calls it like brutal. You know, like it's yeah. brutal and it's beautiful. When you first started, I noticed just even the beginning of the sound bath it made me pay more attention to another noise that had been in the room the whole time that I like just hadn't paid attention to. Mm -hmm. And then I heard a new noise that had been in the room. And so it was like that, that first bowl that you hit made me actually tune into everything else and then go back to the bowl. And I was like, oh, I'm incorporating multiple things. There's more going on here than maybe I was paying attention to because I was probably closed, you know, because I was like, okay, we're getting, we got to sit down. We got to get this thing done. You know, how are we doing? How's the time? Like, it's all the things that everyone's thinking about when you've got multiple people doing different things and trying to orchestrate something. What did you sense in our space? Like if you're open to sharing it? Well, what I find actually is that the more movement that you have around you, the more opportunity you have to be stillness. What do I mean by that? It's because you are sitting still or lying still or setting intention to be still throughout the experience let the sounds move around you. Notice what you're hearing so that all of this movement it can exist outside of you. It doesn't shake your stillness and your steadiness. You know, it could be so so intense, but I love to meditate on a park bench in New York City as long as I feel safe. It can be some of my deepest practices to have all this movement going around. That's funny. I have never gotten there. (laughs) To feel like I could actually sit on a park bench and do that. More because I'm so, I think my mind goes, what what's going on? Mm-hmm. So I love your point about like the more that's happening, the more opportunity you have to not be in the happening. Yeah. It makes me think of like there was a point in time where I was thinking about where to live and I didn't know if I wanted to be in New York City or somewhere else that was slower. And someone in my life said to me, like, you have to decide if you want to be Uh, or how it's going to feel or if you want to be the person who is in a city like New York where everyone goes 130 miles an hour and you're purposefully choosing to go 90, right? 
versus, you know, the town I was considering was like, everybody's going 40 and you want to go 90. You know, like, (laughs) like, how do you want this to go? And so I chose New York. And so I, I feel like I'm constantly intentionally or choosing to try to slow myself down or making space to slow down. And the power is in the choosing. Mm -hmm. People find it surprising to learn that I'm a native New Yorker, Mm. but I... I'm not shocked by that at all. I feel at home here. You feel like a native New Yorker to me. (laughs) I feel feel at home here. This pace is my rhythm. And I also feel that people in big cities need to access the power of stillness and slowness more than anyone. So Yeah. We are the most prone to distraction. So you wrote your book four years ago. It was 2019 that it came out. Yeah, um, November 2019. Amazing. So yeah, <laughs> I know it's like, I always wonder about, you know, when you publish your first book, are you then getting pressure immediately to get your second one out or are you pressuring yourself to get it out? Well, there was this thing that happened in 2020. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> that made everybody forget about everything that they were working on. Uh, that first book happened you know, pretty quickly, actually, in the the making of it. And I feel strongly that the next one will be a slower process mm. for me. And I'm certainly excited about that. But for now, working in collaboration with organizations is certainly my focus. I feel like this amazing opportunity to work with the World Health Organization, I helped them to create their very first ever public health leadership course, which Mm -hmm. we did in November of last year. And to be able to bring these types of holistic practices into a space like that, it can be really incredible for the future of global health. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is where my passion is at the moment, being able to be efficient and far reaching mm-hmm. with the work. Between the point that you publish your book and then, you know, now it's been four years, things have shifted for all of us, right? And I'm sure have shifted for you. What are you saying differently now than what you were saying in the book? A lot of things are actually similar. I think the reason why I'm not rushing to write a second book is is for the reasons that we spoke about earlier and wanting to be about it versus talking about it. Mm -hmm. And this desire to be facilitating experiences, whether they're in person or recorded. I have an online platform Mm -hmm. called Pause where I offer recorded sound bath experiences, just continuing to be able to give people access to the experience is higher on my priority list than writing about it. Mm -hmm. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like the premise of of what I am hoping to do on this show is for me to do the things. And like, I, I can't talk about anything. I, I think we are deeply disempowered when we talk about things we've never done. Right. And so like, I can't talk about anything I haven't tried. I can't talk about something I haven't done, but I can talk about something I have tried and have done and then have studied. And then I think you become even more powerful. But there are so many people that I notice that talk about things they've never done but have studied the thing, right? And so there is there is a difference in feeling. Like you know when someone's been there or has had an experience versus when they're talking around the experience that they've studied. Is there anything that you're you're like, God, I wish everybody knew this about sound bath, sound bath therapy? 
Yes. <laughs> Go for it. What is it? Let Tell the world. Out, let me pull out my list, Leah. <laughs> oh, a, is it a scroll? <laughs> it's a scroll. It's going to go down the hallway right there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> One, all practitioners are different. Having singing bowls doesn't qualify someone to facilitate a sound bath. Mm. I think people right now with the rising trend of it are getting caught up in the visual aspect of it. So they see the bowls and they think, wow, I'm going to have a sound bath experience that's going to be powerful and meaningful. And what I think is important for people to know is that sound is a powerful tool that affects us on all levels. It affects our physiology. It affects our psychology. It affects us emotionally and spiritually. Mm -hmm. And it is possible for you to be affected on all of those levels when you enter into a sound bath. It's not something that you want to put into the hands of just anybody. And so I would really urge people to find experienced practitioners or reputable practitioners and really feel comfortable to ask questions of the person who's facilitating so that they feel comfortable. I mean, the most important thing in the experience is that you as a participant feel comfortable mm -hmm. because there is an opportunity to go deep, to have a transformative healing experience. And I don't think you want to do that with just anybody. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're alluding to is like, this is a sacred thing. Like it's meaningful enough and matters enough that you should do your homework. Yeah. And I, I don't want to stress it so much in a way that prevents people from trying it, but just a knowing that there are lots of different levels of quality of experience and lots of different ways that people facilitate. I mm -hmm. mean, I get people who come to me all the time and say, I've been going to your sound bath for a couple of years and I moved and I went to this other sound bath and it was nothing like yours. And I would say, well... The person facilitating wasn't wasn't right. me. Correct. So it's going to be different. However, you know, I do also facilitate trainings. So I teach people all over the world how to facilitate in my method. Mm -hmm. And I think as it becomes more popular, people will become more educated. Same thing with yoga. Same thing with meditation. I think it's important that people start to educate themselves around sound experiences. So do you mostly believe that this kind of revolution around wellness and well-being is positive? And then there are pockets of things where, you know, I think about the fact that so many people who become teachers, then a lot of times the model is then I'm just going to go teach. Right. And so we are putting oftentimes things into the hands of people that may not be going as deep as we as teachers maybe have gone. Like, do you feel like there's friction there? Are you saying like, this is great, get it out into the world? Yes. It's certainly a double-edged sword. Yes. I have worked half of my life to make this work accessible and now it is becoming more accessible <laughs> right. and hooray. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, that every yoga studio has a sound bath now. I, that That's incredible. I've 13 years ago, I had to beg a yoga studio to let me in there. It mm -hmm. wasn't a thing that was happening. So I think it's great that it's rising in popularity. Yeah. With caution. With caution. Great. Okay. Fair. And I'm going to have you complete these three statements for me. Better humans are? Open. Better work is? Fulfilling. I'd agree with that. And a better world has? 
more connection to nature. How do we get that in New York City? We go to the park. Pick up trash. Ooh. If safely. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Ooh, that's a good one. Thank you so much for joining me. It was great to get to talk with you and to share this. That was sound therapist Sarah Oster. If this conversation has you curious about sound baths and other techniques for relaxing, share it with someone else who might enjoy or might not yet know how much they'd benefit from slowing down to some soothing sounds. And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me why you love our show. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living, and find my newsletter on how to live even better than you do today at www.linkedin.com ITA. That's www.linkedin.com ITA. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf Kadron makes sure we sound good in the studio, mixed and sound designed our entire summer series. Hats off to you. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.